Well, welcome to Susquehanna Valley Church. If you're with us online or if you're, you're here today, um, I love that you braid the weather to come on out and uh, worship with us together. And uh, I, I'm excited for a new year. I was thinking about this, and I don't know if you're like New Year's resolution people or not. I, I'm going to be ambitious this year. I turned 40 this year, so I thought I'm going to have two resolutions, not just one. All right, so the first resolution is that I am not going to write the wrong date at all. Not so much that like I don't want to be frustrated that I wrote the wrong thing. I just don't want to remember 2020. Like, I just want to move past that. So I'm not going to write the wrong one. And being real ambitious, my big resolutions this year is that I want to convince the auto warranty services people to stop calling me. Because they call me like five times a week. And I don't know. It's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of sacrifice on my part. But I, I'm turning 40. I got to get this figured out. And so I'm going to let them know that I don't want their, their services. I don't need their warranty. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to push on until I get it done. I promise you. Okay, you can hold me accountable to that. Um, realistically, it's always funny when I get those calls. First of all, like I, so I have to pick up no calls from numbers that I don't know in case somebody you know, is trying to connect with me from church. So I have to do it, and I have to watch my tone when I pick it up because I don't want to be frustrated, even though 99% of the time it's these same people calling me again and again about this warranty stuff. And, and what just boggles my mind is they always, they, they, they're so good at making you think they're calling for your benefit. Like, this isn't about me making money and tricking you into something that you don't need. This is about me helping you and saving you from having a big problem. And so, like, I have to watch it because I listen to, to, to I answer these phone calls so skeptically. I'm like, I don't, I, this is not going to be for me. This is going to be something trying to take advantage of me. I listen so skeptically. What we're going to talk about in this series, this, this pause series, it, we've got to watch our hearts because when, whenever we, we listen to God and his teaching about our time and how we monitor our, our schedule and our rest, we tend to listen somewhat skeptically, I think. I think we tend to, to listen from a perspective of, is this really beneficial for me, or is, is, is this something where I don't, in the end, want to hear? And, and I'm going to come at it from the, the perspective that I absolutely think that if you give God more authority and more reign over your week in and week out routine, that your life will get dramatically better. I, think, I, I don't think this is an auto-warranty services thing. I think this is God trying to do you an enormous favor for your life and for your just sanity and for your general health. And I think by default then, we'll become better servants of him. I think we'll be better, better lovers of the people in our life. I think we'll be, be better at reaching those who don't know him. I just think we'll be healthier versions of ourselves in a way that is much, much better. In fact, I read a book um, called uh, The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan, and it's a great book that just, if this is an area of struggle for you, he walks a journey. He walks you on a journey through his own sort of discovery of what this looks like. And, and Mark, in the beginning of the book, he talks about this, and he talks about how he began to see the wear of a lack of rest on his life. He began to see it add up and accumulate, and he didn't like the results. And so he says this. He says, the inmost places suffered most. I was losing perspective. Fishers in my in my character work themselves here and there into cracks. Some widen into ruptures. I grew easily irritable, paranoid, bitter, self-righteous, gloomy. I was often 
argumentative. I got to confess, when I read that statement, I thought, that sounds familiar. Not because it's a bunch of people I know, but because it's me. Where I find myself often easily frustrated, easily bitter, easily perturbed about things that shouldn't annoy me to the degree that they do. And really, it was a time for me to look back and say, why does this sound familiar? Because maybe I've gotten something wrong in the way that I've let God overrule and oversee see my life. And so in this series, what I want us to do is I want us to take a fresh look at a very old concept. I want us to, to, to take a look at the idea of the Sabbath and what it means for us to, to enter a regular rhythm of, of rest. And I know like the, the moment that I say the word Sabbath, there's a part of us that says that, that hasn't, hasn't our society you know, progressed beyond the need for that. Isn't that sort of an archaic and an unnecessary thing? There's always something I could be doing. There's always something that could distract me. I, there's always something that calls for my attention and calls for my time. And, and, and so maybe we've progressed beyond it. But I would argue quite the opposite. I would argue if you look at the state of our society, we haven't progressed, we've regressed. It's not that we've gotten better and we figured this out. We're actually showing the signs of a society that greatly needs to go back to a different way of doing life. I read some statistics this week. The average American adult is sleepy three days a week. One quarter of American adults are sleepy five to seven days per week. 43% say they're too fatigued to work well. 60% say this past year they're more tired than they ever were before. Maybe it's not something that our society is getting right. Maybe in actuality, we haven't progressed, we've regressed. And, and so what does it look like for us to say, God, we want to get this right? It's interesting when I read these articles about these statistics, they'll, they'll offer solutions at the end. They'll say, you need to exercise more. You need to eat better. You need to make sure you get enough sleep. Maybe you should decorate your bedroom. I mean, they're all fine ideas, but every one of them neglects the deeper interests of our soul. That perhaps what's really going on is not surely just this, this ability to enter a, a place of rest where we feel rejuvenated. Maybe there's something beneath the surface. Maybe there's something that wisdom would call us to say, God, what do you have for us here? Ephesians says that we should be careful to live as wise, not as unwise. What does that mean here? What does that mean in this particular area, an area where we typically kind of keep God on the shelf and say, God, you can have most of my schedule, but the idea of just taking an entire day to rest is, I, I don't know, God, it, it seems kind of crazy. But what if in spite of all the demands, all the internal drive and all the pressure, what if God's right about this? And what if you do better after a rest, after a pause? What if God wired you in a way that, that, that you just necessitate, that, that for you to be healthy, for you to be fully engaged in the mission that God has for you, you require a regular rhythm of rest to be at your best? I, I think that's the case. And I would say that, that life itself would be better loved better served, and even just better lived if a modern society caught on to an ancient idea of a Sabbath. And so so let, let's kind of journey all the way back. Let's, let's go back to when God instituted this policy 
And just you for yourself, you look and see whether or not you think this is going to solve some of what's going on in your life. I, I think it will, if it's anything like mine. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1. So God has finished creating. So he, he's made the, the sky, he's made the sea, he's made the land, he's made the animals, he's made, he's made humans. And, and now we get to the seventh day. And thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And then in Exodus 20, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor, nor your male or female servant nor your anim animals nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray. God, I ask that we are a people that approach subjects like this with humility to think that maybe we don't have it all figured out. Maybe the routine that we've fallen into isn't the best. And God, I pray that we would get wisdom from your spirit and from your word. We ask that you teach us in your son's name. Amen. Look, let's be real. We live in a culture that marries our identity to our busyness. Our identity is attached to how busy we are. We'll, we'll take workaholic and we'll, we'll give it a different term. You're driven. We'll take somebody who's always busy and what do we call them? Important. We, we, we've attached our identity to this idea and what, what we want to do in this series is challenge you with the idea of letting life fall into God's plans. Letting the rhythm become what God desires for you. Uh, to, to give it to him and say, God, what would you have this be? I don't know about you, but the older I get and the more that I follow after Jesus, the more I'm convinced that to give him more, it ends up being better. I've never given God something and ended up regretting it as if somehow this wasn't what I should do and, and he didn't have higher plans and, and, and better ideas for, for my life than what I did. I always have found that no, God, your ways are higher than mine, especially when it comes to managing my life and, and my schedule. And, and so let, let's ask this question as we consider Genesis 2 um, and, and Exodus 20. What message does it send us that God rests? What message does it send to us? What, what, what is Creator saying to creation that God rests, that that's in Scripture that God chooses to have that portion of the week be what it is. And, and I, I would say four things. I would say, first of all, that we should expect to have to. That we, in order to, to be all that God wants us to be, should expect to have to. And I think, in part, what God is doing is he's, he's demonstrating some, some boundaries for us. He's, he's letting us know some norms for how he has created this world to exist. That yes, work is an important part. We should work very hard, but there should also be something about life where, where there's this boundary where we step into a season of rest. That, that to, to live apart from that is, is to basically create a situation where we're, we're overworked 
where we're drained of something very precious to us. It's almost like this boundary is set up in such a way that, that if we spend too, too much time over here, it's like it's too much time in the sun. It'll burn you. You're not meant to exist out here. And we have all our ways of trying to prevent that, but, but at the end of the day, to, to step back here for part of the week is something that I think God is showing us that we should expect to have to. The creation is not so different from the creator that we get to be exempt from the example that he sets. That we should look and say, no, if God rested, then there's something about this that would imply that I should as well. Second thing that I think we notice is then that, that resting is not beneath us. It's not like a lesser thing that we stop doing the greater things to, to take time for the lesser things. That, that In God's eyes, that this is equal to this in terms of importance. That we would understand that it's not being lazy. I mean, honestly, sure, it could be. You could rest for six days and work for one, and I, I don't think that's how God desires it to be. It might be nice, but um, that's called vacation, not routine that God wants for you. And so, so the idea is there's six and there's one, but that one is not beneath us. It's not laziness. I, I've learned over the years that to me, uh, just even a 10-minute power nap is incredibly powerful to just rejuvenate me. I'll be honest with you, when I was going to write that in there, I wrote down five-minute power nap so you wouldn't think I was lazy. As if five minutes would be the difference between whether or not you think I was lazy with that. But this is how we're trained to think. We're trained to think that even five minutes is what determines whether or not you're lazy or you work hard. This is not beneath us. I've mentioned before that I've spent time in, in different cultures in, in the Dominican Republic and watching, watching some of the workers work there on the school that we were, we were down to help out with and, and just seeing guys who had to get concrete, you know, in, in the form of concrete, so they had to mix the, the mud and, you know, so add water, and then they would take the shovels and they would just fling it up to the next story uh, of the school, and then the next guy would, would do, you know, work with it up there and just, they'd be just doing this and doing this, you know, all, for hours, and I remember looking out and seeing they were just sitting down and they were taking a break. And the American mentality of like, hey, you're on the clock. What are you guys doing? We, we paid you to come here and do this and you, you're sitting down for, for 20 minutes. And then I thought, what am I talking about? I've never seen any human being work as hard as these guys have. They would put me to shame. If I went down there, I would need a break after like two shovelfuls of concrete. And these, these guys, maybe they know something I don't know. Maybe they're more in tune with things the way that God created them. I, I, I just, I, I watched that, and it was a fascinating thing for me to look at and say, they're not treating that time as if resting is beneath them. Why do we do that? Why not say, God set this pattern for us? This isn't, this isn't a waste of my time. This is wisdom in regards to my time. It would also mean that, that we may become so focused on what we could gain that we don't stop to see that gaining is only one aspect of life. We could get so focused on what I can gain and work and what I can achieve and, and what I can amass that we forget that that's just one aspect of life. That there are other things that are extremely important, other seasons that need to be part of this pattern for me. 
Just, just times of reflection where I sit down and think and ponder. And think about God's love and think about people who are important to me and think about what I believe God's calling me to be and do. Seasons of relationship where I just spend time with others of rejoicing, where I celebrate what has happened, of renewal, where I let God work in me and just, just let him change me. These are rhythms that if we don't watch, we don't get to experience. And that's the fourth one, that we, may, that, that we might forget that what we achieve may not be more valuable than what we experience. What we achieve may not be more valuable than what we experience. That we might get to the end and have a different perspective on our time than when we began. Might get to the end of it all and look back and say, I see it differently now. We, uh, my mom moved this past week, and so we, we found uh, a VCR and some old homemade movies. Uh, you know, with, when the camcorder was like 25 pounds and it went in on your shoulder, and you, you remember those, and it recorded straight to a VHS tape. We found a bunch of those. My kids were looking at it, and they were like, what is this thing? Like, j- just watch. This is how we use, this is what we have to do. And, and he was like, well, nothing's on. I'm like, we have to rewind it. You got to stop it and you got to, re- just, just wait. And we go through and we watch a bunch of these old movies. And every single one, I had a different hat on. And it reminded me that when I was a kid, I had so many hats that I was honestly embarrassed to let people look inside my closet and see how many hats I own. If I went to a sporting goods store, I would be looking at the hats. I'd be like, oh, I don't have that team's hat, or I need this hat, or, you know, that's a different version of a team I like. That one's pretty cool. I probably had 30 or 40 hats as a kid, and they were just a different one, different one, different one. And now you ask me, like, how important is a hat? I'd be like, I don't care about a hat. It doesn't, like, it's a hat. I could probably get a free one. I don't care what it looks like. It serves a purpose more more than anything else. It's just there to keep the sun out of your eyes sometimes. It's funny how our perspective changes over time. I would bet that the more we walk with God, our perspective on rest and the usage of our time and the management of our schedule, I would bet it's going to change. I would bet in the end that our hindsight would look a lot like God's foresight. Then where we're all said and done, we're going to look back and say, he was right. He was right. Even just watching videos of, of my father who's no longer with us and just watching and thinking, man, he really spent a lot of time with us. He knew when to work and he knew when to be home. Man, that was valuable. I would bet our hindsight will look a lot like God's foresight. So, so how do we get there? How do, how do we live that way? How do we put it into practice? And I think two perspectives that are going to help, and, and then I'm going to give you some challenges. All right, so two perspectives. First perspective is to understand the Sabbath is a discipline. This is not easy, especially in our culture. I was, I was talking with John this morning about how just counter this is to an American idea, that you would slow down for one day a week and you would just, just rest is so counter to our culture. It's a discipline. It is not easy. You've got you've to change. You've got to press God's truth into your heart that this is the way life is supposed to be. We've got to stop asking the question of what is normal and ask the question of what is wise. What is true? I don't care if everybody else works six, seven days a week and that's just what you do. Be a person who's wise enough to say, no, what do I do? What would God like me to do? And press my life into that. 
I, I, I say press it into that, into that mold because I really, for me, that's been my journey in this to say, no, I have to do it this way. I can't look at the phone today. I can't do this today. I have to do this. This is important. It's a discipline. It's like when my kids bought, um, we got my kids the sleeping bags a couple years ago uh, for like a birthday or Christmas present. And I remember, I remember they opened it up and I thought, well, that thing's pretty tiny. It's pretty compact. And I was foolish to think we would ever get it back into that shape. Because no matter how hard that I strive and struggle to, to fold that thing and to roll it tightly, I mean, I could get like ratchet straps out of the garage. I could do whatever I could. I could, uh, could, I could have all the kids sit on it. And it just doesn't seem to want to go back into the shape in the compact way that it was before. It's, to me, that's our wrestle with the Sabbath. The moment that you were born into this society, into this world, you sprang out into a form that said, work, work, work. If you don't, people are going to look at you. They're going to judge you. If you're not that person that's always doing something, if you're not always busy, you're not important. And God says, press it back in. That's not how I made you. The fissures will start to show up. You'll start to become irritable. You'll be easily perturbed. And all of a sudden, life will be exhausting. And some of us feel a weariness that Jesus never intended us to feel. Because we carry a burden that Jesus never wanted us to carry. And we've got to let go and say, God, I'm going to press this back into the shape that you planned it to be. New York Times uh, had, had an uh, editorial article by a woman named Judith Shulovitz, and, and she writes from the Jewish perspective of the Sabbath, and, and just, I, I want to read it to you because I think it's so profound. She says, it was only much later that I developed a theory about my condition. She's talking about her condition of just being exhausted all the time. I was suffering from the lack of a Sabbath. There's ample evidence that our relationship to work is out of whack. Our society that pegs status to achieve overachievement we can't help admiring workaholics. Let me argue instead on behalf of an institution that has kept workaholism in reasonable check for thousands of years. Most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was much more complicated. You cannot downshift casually and easily. This is why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths are so exactingly intentional. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of the will. How insightful is that? They were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a strenuous act of the will. That this world will just turn you over and over and over, like you're in a washing machine just going through a cycle again and again and again. And, and what she says is that this, this takes a strenuous act of the will to stop it, to stop being so concerned about being perfect, to stop being so concerned with, with being over-prepared. This is something that God has been put on, putting on my heart because what I do with the sermon is we try to plan it out months in advance and then, then I want to go over it in the beginning of the week again and again and then, then when it comes to Saturday, I want to go over it again and again because I, in my mind, to be over-prepared for the sermon is the most loving thing I can do for you. 
And what God has taught me is that perhaps the more loving thing is to give you a healthier version of me. To be able to love you freely without worrying about a perfect line. And what's your version of that? That maybe it's not about the perfection of being overprepared. Maybe it's letting God allow you to be the most loving version of yourself as you press life into shape. And see, our culture has somehow concluded that little bits of rest is equal to what God has designed us to experience. That little bits of rest is as good as a pause on life. And it's not lazy. It's not lazy, it's wise for us to say, God, I'm going to give you my time. The Sabbath is a discipline, but it's not just a discipline. Uh, I want you to see what I think is, is even more profound. The Sabbath is a weekly liberation. It stops the cycle. It's a weekly liberation. It frees you from the rut. It frees you from the routine. It allows you to step back and to become whole again. It allows you to rest and it allows you to reset. When I was a little kid, we played video games a lot and, and there was a reset button. So if the game wasn't going the way that you wanted, you, know, you, you lost too many lives or the score was out of hand, you just hit the reset button. And I remember times with my brothers where one of us would be winning by a lot and, oh, oops, sorry, bumped the reset button. I guess that game doesn't count. It was always, a, you know, it would end in a fist fight, basically. But there was that ability to just stop and reset. And I, I, to me, what I see in the scriptures is God saying, work is not the point of life. Reset. Pause. Refocus on who I am. Refocus on how much I love you, on how I satisfy and lift the deeper burdens of your heart so that you don't stay in the cycle and, and become not, not freed, but actually oppressed. Uh, Tim Keller, who I think is an absolute genius on, on this whole concept, and, and, and he, he talks about this, re really what he calls Sabbath as a liberation from the tyranny, from the tyranny of life. What does he mean? This is what he means. He says, anyone who overworks is really a slave. Anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave. Slave to a need for success, to a materialistic culture, to exploitive em employers, to parental expectations, or to all the above. These slave masters will abuse you if you are not disciplined in the practice of Sabbath rest. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom. Sabbath is saying, you're not my boss of my life. Sabbath is saying, I'm not a slave. I'm a child of God. And I will take time to routinely enjoy him. Look at Jesus in Luke chapter 13, verse 10. I love this text. I absolutely love it. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days of work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Are you kidding me? For 18 years. For 18 years, night and morning, 
This woman couldn't stand up straight. This woman crippled. And Jesus heals her. And they go, are you kidding me? If you want to get healed, you show, up, you show up on a Saturday. Or you show up on a Sunday. You show up on a Monday. I can't believe it. What are we talking about here? Look at what Jesus does. He says, he says you hypocrites. This is, this is important. Don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give water. Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. I love it. The, the theme in the scriptures that we see these religious leaders portray is that the Sabbath is this law that you, you need to keep, and if you don't, then, then you're, not, you're, not, you're not a good person. That this is somehow some measurement for self-righteousness, and if you don't do X, Y, and Z, or really A through Z, and, and you don't rest in this exact way, then you're in violation of a law, and how dare you? And Jesus elsewhere, and we'll look at it in the coming sermon, says, look, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And these, these religious leaders, in an effort to, to create a system to prove how good they were, enslaved themselves to that very system. And everybody else allowed themselves to be enslaved to it. And Jesus comes along. And Jesus heals this woman. She's free. Freedom is the tone of this passage. She's free. And they say, how could you? I mean, this is a Sabbath day. You're not supposed to do any work. And Jesus' response is, is not the very nature of the Sabbath freedom. Isn't that what this is all about? Isn't it, isn't, don't you take your, your ox and let it go? Don't you untie your donkey? Don't you give freedom? Isn't implicit the very concept of the Sabbath that you would get to be liberated? That the routine that has held you down, isn't that the nature of this all? That you're free. That for one day, every, every human is free from this idea that you're not a slave. That you don't have to continue the cycle. This is why when they hear this, they're delighted with this teaching. The crowds are delighted to see this woman unbound because Jesus is saying the Sabbath is about being unbound. Jesus to them is the idea of the Sabbath. He's liberating, he's free. You guys have made this about enslavement. This is not what it's about. You're not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for you. No, the Sabbath isn't something we're a slave to. The Sabbath is the solution to one of our greatest oppressions, the need to have to prove ourselves. And if we don't understand that, if we don't, if we don't have this routine breaker, if we don't have this solution, then the fissures start to show up and the burdens start to pile up because God didn't make you that way. No, this is not, this is not in slavery. This is freedom. This is liberation. What have you been carrying around for 18 years? What have you been carrying around for decades? The Sabbath is the time for you to say, I don't need to. It's not my burden. Does not Jesus say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you peace for your souls. 
The Sabbath is your experience of that on a weekly basis. I'm not trying to create a law here. I'm trying to offer you freedom. I'm trying to help you to see that this is something that really you need. So I've got a challenge for you. It's, it's going to be difficult, but I want you to practice, we'll call it a Sabbath rhythm, rhythm for two months. Give it two months of your life. You'll have to press it into shape. You'll have to make it fit your life. Give it two months. Some of us might live 60, 70, 80 years, two months in the grand scheme of things. Not that big of a deal. Let's just give it two months. Press it into shape. Find out what a liberating discipline is. A liberating discipline. Tim Keller, again, he he talks about this. And and we'll give some practical thoughts. Again, he's just done so much study and teaching on this. And, And he says, in regards to Sabbath... This, this, this was the biggest challenge for me. I'll be honest with you. Of all the things that I was challenged with, this one right here was by far the most. He says, make sure sometime is completely unplanned. Make sure sometime is completely unplanned. This means having a day in which you can do whatever comes into your mind and heart to do at the moment. So we had that day this week, and I woke up, and you know what I said to Corinne? The very first thing out of my mouth was, so what's the plan? This is our unplanned day. So what's the plan? Because <laughs> it's so ingrained in us. I want to say I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to make the most out of everything. This is just not how God wired us to be all the time. Most of the time, being driven is very good. But man, it'll kill you if you don't put it into check. Completely unplanned time. And my experience with what this was like was really just entirely unfamiliar. I don't know what to do with it. It's just different. It's new. And what I found is the more that we put this into practice, the more it was nice to be like, you know what, I feel like taking a walk right now. Hey, you know what? I don't feel like cooking. Let's go grab some Chick-fil-A. Can't do that today, by the way. But it was so foreign to me in the beginning. I was thinking about wh- what it was like. It was almost like if you had a, a, a child who, who maybe grew up in, in a tribe in the middle of nowhere, never had any technology, and one day a, a, an Apple laptop falls out and, and lands, lands at his feet, and he looks at it. No idea what to do with it. Maybe he thinks it would be a nice table, or he could hold it over his head to protect the, the rain. Somebody's got to teach him what to do with it. God will teach you what to do with unplanned time. He will. He will guide you. And you'll find that it's extremely restorative. That it breaks the routine. And it's one of the most freeing and liberating things you'll ever experience. Th- this past week, we had one of our dear saints, uh, Stan Moyes, pass and go home to be with the Lord. Just, just a great man. I loved him. Um, loved just spending time with him. He's just a phenomenal listener. Just when he spoke, he spoke with sincerity. And as I prepared for his burial service, uh, I actually got to read a a paper that he wrote about heaven. It's not often that a pastor has, you know, such insight into somebody's heart and mind on a subject of something that's so pertinent as heaven when somebody passes away. And, And as Stan wrote, he wrote about really this desire to discover what God had prepared for us. 
And he quoted 1 Corinthians 12. He said, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. This idea that we're going to be discovering the glory of God for ages to come. You know what the Sabbath does? The Sabbath starts the discovery now. The Sabbath says that one day a week, I'm going to stop and discover Discover what it means to be liberated because one day that will be my existence. Discover what it means to enjoy the people around me. Discover what happens when I give God something so incredibly valuable as my own time. Let's pray. Our God and Father, I pray that this is a message of freedom. That this is a message that while it's so counter to most of our mentality, that we would look to you and say, Lord, what does it mean for us to let you have oversight and let you have directive, just that you would have command of this. Not that it becomes a law for us, Lord, but it becomes liberation. And I pray that you guide us in that, that we would be people of yours, despite what the culture around us says. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.